Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Jamie. We are in Romans chapter 8 this morning, if you'd like to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat nearby, I would, I would think. Uh, Romans chapter 8. I, um, I think one of the most fun parts of parenting, being a parent so far, was, uh, for me anyway, was watching my kids learn how to communicate. Um, it doesn't happen immediately. I mean, newborn babies, you know, they're, let's face it, they're not all that much fun, really. I mean, they just, they just lie there, and they, they sleep, and they eat, and they cry, and they make, well, messes, you know. Um, just a, a miniature Winston Churchill in a bassinet there. Uh, with his eyes closed. Uh, they're not all that much fun. But after they get to be a few weeks old, that's when they begin to realize that you're there. And, and they start looking at you, and they start smiling at you, and start interacting with you. That's when they, you, know, you start to see personality. Uh, in other words, it's when communication begins that things get, get interesting. Uh, and engaging, and and things get funny because because kids try to say things and try to communicate. They try to say words and they don't always get them right. Um, when uh, when R. J. Corman's helicopter would fly over our house, Ben, our oldest, would look up in the sky and point and say, "Hepadopter." And uh, he finally grew out of that. <laughs> uh, let's see, it was two years ago, right? I think he stopped. When he left for college, he, he, he grew out of that. Uh, bo- both of our older boys, David didn't, I, I don't remember, but both of our older boys, instead of saying animal, they would say aminal, A-M-I-N-A-L. Uh, there's an aminal. And frankly, I was never in a hurry really to correct them on that because I, I think aminal is sort of cool. <laughs> uh, Annette and I were probably working against each other on, on that. Um, it took Paul a, a little while to get the concept of an ant, A-U-N-T. So for a little while there, we would go to visit Uncle Paul and Uncle Mary, <laughs> which takes on a different meaning in our culture today than even <laughs> it did then. But uh, he, had a little, he also had, Paul had a little trouble with his R's for a while too. So when he was little, when Pastor Reed Wilbanks was here, it was always Pastor Weed, W-E-E-D, with a, with, with a W, and, and that was funny in another way. I've mentioned this before. From time to time, the church would get promotional stuff with the church name abbreviated to Wilmore Free Meth, M-E-T-H, Church. And so for a while there, we had Pastor Weed of the Wilmore Free Meth Church. Uh, We tried to capitalize on that through outreach, but that didn't go all that, all that well. The point is, it's really fun to hear kids learn how to communicate. Uh, they don't always get it right, but you know, when you're the parent, you can figure out what, generally, what they're trying to say. Uh, when Ben would, would, would point up in the sky and say, Hepidopter, Annette and I knew what he was talking about. Somebody else might have, what is that, kid? you know, but Annette and I knew. What he was talking about. At the same time, though, we would always say back to him, no, helicopter. Because even though hepidopter is cute at two, 
it's not cute at 5 or 10 or 20. And that's because there is an expected progression. Uh, There's an expected development of speech and communication in children, in in people. Now, I realize that some move faster in that than others. Uh, Some need extra help learning how to communicate. Some physically can't communicate in certain ways, so they learn to communicate in other ways. You know, they, they learn sign language, or they, they write out what they want, or they read lips, or they, they learn Braille. You know, people invest a lot of work and a lot of effort learning how to communicate because it's important that people interact with the world around them. If we don't interact with the world around us, then we have no real context for anything. If we don't learn to engage with other people, we become isolated and we never live to our fullest potential for Christ. Um, People are created to communicate and we are made to develop in our communication with each other and with God. In fact, it is abnormal if we don't. It's abnormal if we don't. Now, we've, we've invested four weeks here in our study of prayer, which really is simply communicating with God. Um, although we won't, we could invest another year or two in the study of prayer because learning to communicate with God, learning to pray is at least as important to the follower of Christ as learning to communicate is important to a child. A few weeks ago, the first week of this, we said prayer is natural. We said prayer is native to us. We were made to communicate with God. It is natively in us. It is a part of us. Right from the beginning, just like kids, children cry. That is their way of communicating. Need or or displeasure or something else. As noisy and as crude as it is, especially at three in the morning, that is how they communicate. Right off the bat, babies communicate from the start. It's native. It's built into us. So just the same, prayer is built into us. All of us, human history proves that if we don't pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then we will invent idols to pray to. The urge to communicate with something beyond us, something divine, it it is native. It is natural to you and to me. That was the first week. The second week, we said prayer is beautiful. Our God, our creator, he loves us. He wants us to talk with him, and he wants us to listen to him. And as we will do that, he will provide a calm for us when we are worried, and he will give us assurance when we are shaken, and a hundred other things. Like King David found, just like he found many, many resources of health in God, so can we find in God a refuge and a quiet place of security and rest and hope. That is a beautiful thing in a world of noise. Uh, And prayer makes that possible. Prayer is that kind of beautiful. Last week, we said that prayer is also critical Because it's through prayer that we learn obedience to God. You see, we please our Heavenly Father when we are obedient to Him. And we obey those we trust. And we trust those we know. And we know God through prayer. You can know about God through books, through 
classes, all kinds of stuff. You know tons of stuff about God, but you get to know God through prayer. And that's how prayer leads to obedience. It's how prayer even led Jesus to obedience. So, so he said prayer is natural, prayer is beautiful, prayer is critical for living the Christian life. And today I want to say prayer is possible. It's possible. You and I, we can pray and we can pray effectively. In that, uh, in that passage there in Romans that Julie read, uh, we find the Apostle Paul talking about suffering. He says, he says, you know, humans suffer. Okay, no surprise there. We all know that very well. But then Paul explains why. He says, humans are going to suffer in this world because this world isn't like it was created to be. Uh, all creation, the Apostle Paul says, suffers today in some way. So we are not alone in, in suffering. All creation, Paul says, suffers. All creation is in this state of decay. Scripture says, because of sin. Because of sin, because of Adam's choice to eat what God said to not eat. Because Adam chose his way over God's way, clear back in the garden, right at the beginning. The world suffers. Then you add to that this compounding effect of every human choice after Adam's to do things our own way and not God's way. All of those choices to disobey God compounds in our world it adds up and there's this huge weight that keeps growing and growing because of that verse 20 there says all creation was subject to frustration and is in bondage to corruption simply put things aren't right here and so paul says in verse 22 the whole creation is groaning like the pains of childbirth even today. But even more, Paul says, we are groaning. You and I, every human being is groaning because of all this that is not right with us and around us. We are bearing a weight that is causing us to groan. Now, some days our groaning is more evident than others. As we get older and we try to do things we used to do when we were younger, we usually try uh, and wind up groaning in some way after that. And somebody usually says, well, that was dumb to try that at your age, you know. Um, but even when we're young, we, we often can't do what we think we can do. And what it seems like we ought to be able to do, either physically or mentally or some other way, we get confused. We don't know the answers. Uh, we don't know what to do. We don't know which direction to go. Why is that? Because of this weight of sin in the world. Our bodies and our minds are not what God intended them to be. They are weak and there's fatigue and there's disease and there's aches and there's pains. In this world, there is injustice and there's hurt and there's hunger and heartache. So we humans groan right along with all the rest of creation. We all groan for redemption. We all groan that, that it would be made right again for Jesus to come back and for, set, for him to set things right. And he is coming. And he will set things right one day. But in the meantime, in our groaning, the question is, do we have any help? Is there any help for us? Until Jesus comes back, is there anything that can ease 
are groaning. Paul says there is. There is. While we walk this road, there are two things God has given to encourage us, according to Paul here. There's other things. But according to Paul here, Paul points out two things. The first of the two is hope. Hope. We have hope. For the completion of our adoption into God's family. Verse 23 there, Paul writes, We who are in Christ, we wait for our adoption as sons and daughters. You see, we were orphans living here. We were spiritual orphans. But God has visited our orphanage. God came to earth as unpleasant a place as it was and is still, God came. And here's the thing. He picked us. He chose us and chose to save us. And in Jesus' death and in Jesus' resurrection, God even went to the orphanage office and he signed the papers and paid the price. It's all done. It's a, the deal is done. For all who have received and who follow Jesus, we are just waiting, you see, for him to come and take us home with him. So there's no need for any of us, there's no need for anybody, there's no need for any Christian to sit in in the crummy orphanage and wonder what the future holds for us. We have this hope that we won't have to live in these broken down buildings forever. And by the way, let me say, ours is a hope that is far more than just a wish or or a dream. Our hope is substantial. It's a hope that is based on every prediction and every prophecy of God that has come true through all the ages and even in our lifetimes. This, This book, this book, the Bible, and the testimony of Christ's church through the centuries, both, they're just filled with the fulfilled promises of God. All that God has done, story after story, account after account. So our hope isn't founded on some blind faith. Not at all. Our hope rests on an entirely reasonable, proven, predictable faith. Our hope for the future is based on fact from the past. So so we have this hope, and this hope that we have is sure. Now, It's true. Today, we may still be living in the orphanage. There's still crumminess around us. Things are broken in our world. But we are no longer orphans. We are children of the king. If you follow Christ, you are a child of the king. And someday soon, he's going to come and get us. And he's going to get everyone who trusts him and who follows him. God has given us the sure hope of full adoption into his family. And that helps us. And that sustains us until he comes. That's the first thing that Paul says God has given us to help sustain us. But hope is not all that he has given us as we wait. God has given us another gift, another means of help in our present weakness. Uh, So we may have to wait in the orphanage, but we don't have to wait alone. Uh, We have the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus said... He's going to send him to us. Jesus said he wouldn't leave us here as orphans, but he'd send us a companion. And and God did. Paul says there in verse 23, we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we who are in Christ 
have who Jesus promised we would have. The Holy Spirit is here in our midst. And so what's the big deal about that? Again, in verse 26 there, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit does just what Jesus promised he would do. See, there's another fulfilled promise right there. The Spirit is here to help us in our mortal weaknesses. And Paul is speaking here of a specific kind of help and a specific weakness here. Here, Paul is talking about our communication with God the Father. The Spirit is here to help us communicate with our Heavenly Father through, through prayer. Verse 26 there, Paul writes, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray. You see, in human strength alone, we don't always know how to pray. There's some things that God says, pray for this. And so we pray for that. It's right here in the scripture. So we, yeah, we can be pretty confident in praying for those things. But in other things, in other circumstances, we don't always know how to pray. Why don't we know? Because we have no idea what tomorrow holds. Sometimes we think we do, but we really don't. Now, we know the end game, right? I mean, as Christians, we know how it all finishes. But as far as the day-to-day, month-to-month, week-to-week details, we don't know those. We don't always know those. You know, if, if we knew that, that some family from the church here would go out on Route 29 and get into an accident right after church, we would, we would pray for them, wouldn't we? Beforehand, we'd pray that they would avoid that. If we knew that, you know, Johnson here was going to have heart trouble, we, we, would, we would pray for that. We would have prayed for that a long time ago. Uh, I have a cousin. He's 65 years old. He loves the Lord. He's ready to meet the Lord. If he has a debilitating stroke and he is hospitalized and he is unresponsive, how do I pray? Do I pray that he lives or do I pray that he dies? Paul says, we don't know how we ought to pray. And in many cases, that is absolutely true. We don't always know how we ought to pray. But here's the thing. God does. God does. We don't know how to pray because we don't know what tomorrow holds. But God does. And so God sent his spirit to reveal things to us so that we might pray as specifically and as correctly as possible. He wants us to do that. The Spirit speaks to us. The Spirit nudges us to to say this or to pray this or to consider this. Think about this. Go here. Do that. That is the leading and the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's God's navigation tool for his people. Especially, Paul says here, with regard to how we should pray. This is a tremendous blessing. It's a tremendous gift that God has given. But you know, that's not all that the Spirit does. God also sent his Spirit to actually pray on our behalf. Uh, Verse 26, Paul says, the Spirit himself supplicates or intercedes for us with, here, here it is again, groans that words can't express. You see, to a a groaning creation and a groaning people, God sends a groaning spirit who identifies with us that closely and who is able to say and to pray things 
that we simply can't. Sometimes, even with the Spirit, we don't know what to say. And even if we did, we wouldn't know how to say it, how to pray it. But the Holy Spirit does. And so as we will open ourselves to him, the Holy Spirit lifts us above ourselves and above our own abilities and above our own cognition. In the Spirit, we are not limited Our prayers are not limited to our own strength or our own understanding or our own knowledge or our own wisdom or our own vision of what's happening or what we think is happening. God's spirit injects a divine perspective into our prayers. In becoming our intercessor, as Paul says, God's spirit actually becomes our interpreter. He prays for us and he translates our prayers To God the Father. Verse 26, Paul says, he helps us. That word translated help is is a Greek word. It's a big, long Greek word. And it means to take hold of with someone in support and help. To take hold of with someone so as to support and help. That's how the Spirit helps You see, he joins with us. He takes hold of our prayers along with us. He comes alongside those who are open to him and he makes their prayers good and right and sensible to God the Father. It's sort of like when we're young in faith and we look up in the sky and we say to God, look, there's a hepidopter. And the Spirit says to the Father, he means a helicopter. You know, he means it's a helicopter. Or when we say, I really like the animals, the Spirit says to the Father, he means animals. He likes animals. He interprets our prayers according to the right and the good will of the Father. And he is always doing that, an ever-present interpreter For us, anyone who has ever tried to speak in a language that you don't know through an interpreter, you know how important a good interpreter is. What are they saying to me? What am I trying to say to them? That's the role of the Spirit. That's another thing that he does. But you know, the Spirit does even more than that. As time goes on, and as we grow closer and closer to God, the Spirit actually transforms us. He actually enables us to form the words to our prayers correctly ourselves. We grow, we mature in our prayers because of the teaching and the guiding work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As far as we will submit ourselves to him, he will develop us. He is not just our interpreter, he is our tutor. He will change us teaching us to pray more and more correctly because God shares more and more of his heart with those who walk more and more closely with him. You see, all all of this, the, the hope, the help, interpretation, transformation, all of this is how the Holy Spirit works to make us people who pray faithfully and, and maturely and, and so effectively, it's a tremendous gift that God offers us here. I mean, no wonder Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away. 
because then the Father will send his spirit. (laughs) It's good that he went because we now can receive the spirit. First things first, though, if, uh, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, God's son, you need him in your life. Uh, he is the bridge between us and our creator. Jesus died to pay the price for your sins and for mine so that we might know God and that we might walk with God just like Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. We can walk with God like that. So if you've never received Jesus, you can do that today just by admitting that you need him. Admit that you need him. You need his forgiveness and you want to follow him. That's the first step in experiencing the help of God's Holy Spirit. Now, once you're a Christ follower, the Spirit's already working on your behalf. Uh, He is working as an interpreter between you and God. But he'd like to do more. Uh, He'd like to work more fully in you, and he'd like to work more fully with you. He wants to come alongside and take hold of our prayers with us, you see. That's what Paul means when he says the Spirit helps us. So that we might grow and mature in faith. The Spirit would like to be your counselor and your guide and your teacher. And what I believe the Lord wants to know this morning is, are you open to that? Are you open to inviting him in to that degree? Welcoming him in to your life. Are you willing to say today, Holy Spirit, I need your help because I don't always know how to pray. He knows that already. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I don't know how to pray. Would you come and would you fill me and would you guide me and would you help me in any way you like? What crisis in your life is bringing you to the end of your own wisdom today? Is there something going on in your life that you have no idea how to pray about? What is it in your life? Ask God to fill you with his spirit, to to lift you above yourself so that you can know how to pray. Uh, It's the real living presence of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life that makes all the difference in so many ways, so many different ways. We're just talking about one this morning, but it's an important one. He helps us to know how to pray. He helps us to know how to pray. Father, you know the struggles that, that every person in this room is, is dealing with today. You know uh, all the different ways that we are at a loss. We don't know, really, how to pray for this or for that or for him or for her. We really don't know. And sometimes we don't know how to, to, to even address you, to, to get you, to get your attention. <laughs> are you reading our texts? We're not sure. Lord, for every one of those places where there is confusion or whether there's wonder, where there is, we just don't know. We open ourselves to you and to your Holy Spirit to work in that place, in that way, in that person's life. Um, If you'd like to invite the Spirit to come and help you learn how to pray, Would you just say, Lord, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you for this purpose, in this place, particularly 
and in how to pray for this situation.